this journey talking about um, more than meets the eye. We've been looking at the cross. It's been April. April is our month where we really just stop to consider the incredible thing that Jesus did on the cross for us. And so we've been saying that when we look at the cross, there's actually more than meets the eye. You can't just look at the cross and think, it's only this and only that. There's so much more. And we've been considering a few aspects of what Jesus has done on the cross. And this morning we'll conclude with our series called More Than Meets the Eye. And I want to talk to you about the legacy of Jesus. Talk to you about the legacy of Jesus and what imprint he has made and I trust has had and continue will have on your life and on my life as we consider him. Now, we've got to define the word legacy a little bit to help us understand what we're really talking about. And it really is the story of someone's life and the impact or mark he or she has had or is having on, on people and on places. So it's the, the impact, the mark that someone's life can have and supposed to have. A person's legacy is a gift that passes from one generation to another. It can be a gift of money, or property, or possessions, but more commonly, it is a gift of knowledge, of values, and of character that really defines our legacy. A person's legacy is how they will be remembered by those who come after them and are amongst them. Because the reality is this, you don't have to die to have a legacy. <laughs> Amen? Because all of you here this morning are alive, I hope, trust. But you've already have left a mark on someone's life. Now the reality is a legacy can be positive and negative. There's some people that have passed away and we consider their legacy and we think, gee, I don't know what good could have come out of a man called Hitler. We don't know. We don't know what ended his life. And, and maybe there was something that, that turned positive in the last 10 seconds of his life. We have no idea. But the legacy that we look at is not a good one. But a legacy is supposed to be a good one. And in God, as God followers, we are prompted to actually lead a life and live a life in such a way that we make a good imprint on each other's lives. So that's what we want to talk about. It's important to remember that everything we do in life works together to create the overall mark or legacy we will leave and are already having on people and on the world. Do you hear that? So everything we do, we can't, we can't take some things out of that, that equation of legacy and say, oh, I don't want to use that. I hope that that will not be used to make a mark on people's lives because some of these things I don't really like. But everything we do, say to your neighbor, everything. Everything you do and have done is already part of your legacy. And by God's grace, there's forgiveness for sure. Amen? That has come to set us free from the bad things we've done that could have marred and certainly mars our legacy. And so the question we need to ask is, what does your current legacy look like? What is a current imprint that you are having and are making and the influence that you have on people's lives? The beautiful and the good news this morning is this. You still have time to work on it. You still have time. We don't know how much time we each have, but we still have time to leave and to work at our legacy. But it's not about our legacy, first of all, because it's 
The focus is the legacy of Jesus. And I do trust that we will learn from the legacy of Jesus to see how can we also have somewhat, not even close to what he's done, but try to live a life that will look similar to his. And that's why I want to say to you, when you look at the cross, you've got to understand that there's more than meets the eye. What the cross represents is an incredible legacy, but there's more than just what we think it says. And we're going to look at a few things. So if we look at the legacy of Jesus now, I want us to see what we can learn from that, all right? First of all, it is said the following, that you can often tell what mattered most to a person by what they leave behind when they depart this world. I say what you can see what mattered most to an individual by what they leave behind once they leave this world. And so let's look at the things that Jesus, if we look at his life, what he left behind is more astonishing when you think that he didn't leave much behind in terms of physical stuff. He didn't leave a wife or a child. He didn't leave a house. He didn't leave a, a wardrobe of clothes and say, oh, well, you can have all of this. He didn't leave money. He left no business. He left no writings of his own. The, the, the stuff that was written by him was not all done by himself. It was done by somebody else. He never recorded his own stuff and wrote down, this is what I think about. People wrote about him. He never left any song. People wrote songs about him. No portrait. No buildings. No confirmed gravesite. Can't just, oh, I know where Jesus was buried. We can go there. This still kind of disputed still today. If we didn't leave these things, when what did he then leave? What is the legacy of Jesus today? And then some of the things that he actually did leave is the following. He never wrote a book, but listen to this. He had one of the largest libraries in the world. It's a library in, in the United States called the Library of Congress. It houses, listen to this, 171 million books. Ever thought about 170 million books in one building, items? It holds more. This library, one of the largest in the world, holds more books about Jesus than any other historical figure. Actual fact that it has 17,000 books about Jesus. The closest runner-up is Shakespeare. Jesus was far more. And so what is left behind is not what he wrote about himself, but what others have done. 17,000 books in that one library. Jesus never ran for political office, we know that. But more people have chosen him to be their leader than anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus was not formally educated, nor did he lecture in a classroom, but he has more students than anyone else who has ever lived. That's the legacy of Jesus. Jesus was not a therapist, but he has helped more people than all the counselors, therapists, and psychologists combined. That's who Jesus is. Jesus was not an artist, but more artwork has been commissioned of him than anyone else has ever lived in the world. Truly, the legacy of Jesus is staggering. You've got to stop and consider, gee, this is something amazing about him. Jesus has made a difference in millions of people's lives throughout history. 
And actually billions is if you start counting from the time that he started impacting people's lives. As he loved them, as he forgave them, as he saved them, as he healed them, as he restored them, as he encouraged them, as he empowered them, as he transformed them. And you and I, sitting here this morning, I believe we're part of his legacy. Because that's what he's done to us and for us. Amen? So let me then take you to look at some ways in which this legacy was accomplished. How did Jesus do this? How did he, 2,000 years, actually the whole, whole reason why we say 2022 is related to Jesus. Did you know that? It's because of him that we have the year that we call the year of our Lord. Before this, they called it VC, before Christ. And, and since the change of that, it became known as the year of our Lord. But there are many people across the world that dispute that and argue, no, it's not about him. But it really is. So Jesus is, is a legend. <laughs> and he's made an incredible mark on this world. Today, across the world, millions are gathering because of Jesus. Because who he is and what he's done. And, and we need to continue to let our lives be formed and shaped by who Jesus is. Not by the world around us, but by Jesus. So the first thing I want to mention to you is, is how did he accomplish this legacy? Is that Jesus frequently spoke about what mattered most to him. So again, you look at the cross and there's more than meets the eye. Because the way in which Jesus impacted lives is that he frequently spoke about what mattered most to him. Let's take you to Mark 10, it says there in verse 32 to 45. And we're going to read a portion together just to show you how Jesus, and, and by the way, these are some of the ways in which he impacted and, and left a legacy. We don't have enough time to go through all of them. But Mark 10, verse 32 says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. This is his disciples. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. How's that? Some amazed, some afraid. Where are you this morning? Are you amazed still by the wonder of who Jesus is? And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. So Jesus spoke about what mattered most to him frequently. And throughout the Gospels, you can find this. And it says in verse 33, he said the following to his disciples. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Jesus often spoke about his death. But Jesus often would speak about his purpose on earth too. Because he knew what mattered most to him. And that came out of his mouth. What we find Jesus also saying that the heart is full of the mouth will speak of. So his heart was full of an understanding of why he came. And so he spoke about it. And listen to what happens further. It says in verse 35, and James and John. Now this is a moment where Jesus is revealing to them the, the, the inner purpose of his life. And he's breaking open this incredible truth of what he's come to do. To be killed. In the midst of that, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. How amazing is that? 
inappropriate. You can you believe? Hey, quite inappropriate thing to. By the way, Jesus, thanks for sharing that stuff. I mean, yeah, you're going to die. By the way, I want you to do for me whatever I ask of you. I wonder to what extent we're not doing the same. Sometimes we we read these things and we like Jesus, you love me and you care, but but just just stop and just consider my needs, would you? So this is what they do, and 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 he said to them in verse thirty six, "And what do you want me to do for you, teacher?" And they said to him, "Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory." Because they thought that Jesus is coming to restore um, a military. A presence. They're gonna, he's going to overthrow the Romans and he's going to be the king here on earth. And they're like, man, I think a great thing will be if we can sit on the right and on the left of him. I mean, like, that'll make us look good, wouldn't it? And Jesus said to them, um, Grant us one on your right in your glory. And Jesus said to them, Do you not know? You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, which is the cup that the Father had chosen for me, or to be baptized with a baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism of which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those with whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, those the other disciples, they're like, how in the world could they have asked this of Jesus? It says, they began, began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. See the stuff that matters most to Jesus is coming up again. See, he's repeating this stuff. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's repeating his purpose, and he is helping us to see what matters most to him. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he's repeating it again. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus not only spoke about his death, but about his purpose on earth. So frequently we find this Jesus commenting on his purpose and saying, guys, this is what matters most to me. There's a beautiful way in which he does it in the book of John. He has these seven I am statements. Have you read some of these I am statements where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He mentions these things seven times. And through that, he says, this is what matters most to me. I've come to do this. I'm, I am the good shepherd, he would say. I am the true vine, he would repeat. Jesus constantly was talking about his purpose. That's why he left a legacy. Because he spoke about why he came to earth. If we relate that to our lives, what would people say matters most to me when they hear me speak? Because that determines the legacy that you and I leave. You are already impacting people's lives. You are already leaving a legacy. You're still alive. But by what you speak the most is what people will pick up matters most to you and me. And that's our legacy. 
The second thing that Jesus would have used, I believe, to, to show us who he is and, and to make a mark in our lives is that Jesus not only spoke about these things, but he acted them out. It's one thing to say, I'm here to serve you, okay? I'm here for you, buddy. Here I am, Susan. What can I do for you? Everywhere we go, we can easily speak about these things, the things that matter most to us. But the thing that really defines whether it's true or not is whether we act it out. Jesus did. Listen to John 19. And we're going to be paging throughout the Gospels a bit this morning. And so... We want to encourage you again, please bring a notebook, please bring a pen, please bring a Bible. If it's on your device, that's great. But journey with us so that we can learn together. John 19, verse 28 to 30 says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, All was now finished, meaning that what mattered most to me, I have acted it out. I've not just spoken about it and said, I one day will do it. But I'm actually, I've committed myself to doing it. And I have done it. I have done it. So it says, he said after it was now finished, to fulfill the scripture, he says, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they took a sponge. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The greatest proof of him acting out what mattered most to him was him dying on the cross for you and me. He spoke about it. He spoke about his purpose. He fulfilled his purpose. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. There are many other things that he did to do what he said he, would, he came to do. But this was the ultimate one. He left a legacy by doing, by acting out what he said he would do. What mattered most to him resulted in a physical action. It was not just, oh, I wish, I hope, I want to. He actually did it. So how does this again relate to us? We need to ask the question, what impression do I leave through how I act? Or am I doing what I say I will? Jesus said I will. He did it. That's the legacy. He was faithful to what he said he would do. He could have left another legacy and said, I don't know, this, this is too difficult for me, Father. Let it pass me by. But he said, I'll drink the cup that is supposed to be drunk by me. And we could also say, no, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to be faithful to one wife. I don't want to be faithful to a husband. I don't want to be a godly influence in this community. I don't want to do all these things. Yeah, you know, it really matters a lot to me to, to be honorable and to be trustworthy and, and to be there for God's people and to be involved and, and to do all these things and, and to be a Christian and to be a follower of Christ. It matters a lot to me, but I don't know if the push comes to shove. It's a bit tough. It's a bit tough. Your legacy is already formed by how you act. We want a godly legacy as people of God, but we're already making a mark by how what I've committed myself to, 
how I'm completing that, how I'm fulfilling that. What I said I will do, how trustworthy I am to what I said I will do. Your legacy is already being formed. And as I said earlier on, praise the Lord, there's grace because we still have time to change where there needs to be change made. The third thing Jesus did, I believe, in, in leaving a godly, incredible legacy is that he shared what he had with others. He shared what he had. And Mark 10, listen to this. It's just one verse here that just says so much. Mark 10 verse 1 says the following, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. So it's very simple. People were, he was out in the, in the area and people came and gathered. And again, it says, as was his custom, he taught them. I want you to focus on those four words, as was his custom. So we clearly see there's a desire in the heart of Jesus to share, as was his custom. It was the thing that mattered to him to make his life and who he is available to others. And he constantly did that, as was his custom. He constantly said, yes, I've come for this purpose. What matters most to me is not to be served, but to serve others. So as my custom is, I will make myself available. And I will share with people. So godly legacy is, is left by what we share, not by what we keep. Do you see that? Jesus had so much. And he constantly shared that. As was his custom. If you, and we often say this, if you, if you have something to share, don't, don't build a higher fence, but rather create a longer table. Do you understand what that means? Is that sometimes we're like, oh, I've got so much, I've got to just look after what I have, and, and yeah, you've got to be a faithful steward, but, but sometimes what we do is we build these high fences and walls that nobody can come in, and, and we just keep us everything to ourselves and but God's word is so different Jesus left the legacy by saying I've got all this I've got everything that man needs I'm going to make a long table as is my custom I will constantly make available what man needs and I will make sure that I'm there for them that's what we've been called to so the question is am I sharing with others that which I have been given or is my world so high the fences are so high that Nobody can come in and everything that I have is just kept here for myself. And I'm not talking about your physical location in your home. I'm talking about the stuff in your heart. You're sitting here, you're receiving something. Every time that we come together, every time that you open up the word, you're receiving something. Are you building fences or walls or are you actually building a longer table to make what you receive available? That's how we make leave a, a godly mark on people's lives. Is through the length of your table. It's not through the height of your fence. But actually there is a reputation that comes. And isn't it true that we live in a world where sometimes it's so difficult to get to people because the fences are so high you've got to make, you know, phone 10 times to make an appointment and can't get in there because it's just too difficult. Hopefully that's not indicative of our lives. 
I understand that people want to have security and those things. But surely we cannot let that become a representation of how, who we are. Our hearts need to be open. And the fences around our hearts need to be low. The table of what we have available needs to be long. So that people can come and sit down and receive from you. We can come to church even in a meeting like this and, and our fences could be up there. And like I'm in you and I'm out of you quickly. That's a high fence, my friend. It's not a long table. A long table would say, hey, I'll come here. I'm going to just connect with people. I'm not going to rush out because you value. You are valuable to me. It's real stuff, this. That's the legacy that we leave. And maybe you have been known as somebody that just in and out. You've got time to change that. When you look at the legacy that Jesus left, that's where we learn from. And we're not monitoring and, and policing each other in these things. We're just saying, listen, this is the legacy that we as a church are called to live according. As is my custom. Whenever I see someone, I try to make time for them. I'm just you know, trying to say that's how we ought to live. I'm not saying that's true of me even. I am also needing to grow in this. As is my custom, I hope that it is. There's time made for people. And people are important. We live in a world where so much of this thing is counter-produced. Where it's, no, no, live according to this. You have the right to be on your own. And COVID has done that to us immensely. And we're kind of trying to redeem the life of what it means to be a believer. That we need to share our lives with one another. Jesus carried on and, and did this by living in great legacy. He, he influenced and mentored people. John chapter 13. And just look at this. It's an incredible story. It's a very intense moment in Jesus' life. And, and he does this absurd thing that none of us would have thought about because Jesus is about to be crucified. And, and, and there's all these things happening around him. And yet he does this. And chapter 13, John. Verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, Jesus knew to depart others' will to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus was quite aware of everything that was going to happen. And what people were going to do and how he was going to die. Jesus was fully aware. That's the moment where I think I could become so incredibly selfish. Like, guys, just time out. Just, oh, all this stuff is going to happen. And are you going to betray me? Are you going to deny me? How could you? This is what he does. He rose from supper in verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm about, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. 
for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. So he goes through this amazing moment where he washes their feet, knowing fully what Simon Peter would be doing, what Judas would be doing, not actually the whole group of them, bar John who was at the crucifixion. All of the rest, they just disappeared. And he knew that. He knew the pain that awaited him. But he chose to love them, to serve them. And so Jesus did this constantly. He mentored and influenced people. Constantly making a point of helping those around him to a different way of thinking. Different way of thinking. Our thinking is, sure, you're the king. You should have us wash you, your feet. No, he, it's the upside down kingdom that we often talk about. He comes and he washes our feet. He's, he's, he's in this great moment of, of, of extreme anxiety, but he, he chooses not to think about himself. He, and so he mentors us. And he changes the way we think through these moments. And that's the legacy that was possible through his life because he constantly did things like this. So again, how do, we, how do we do? Am I wise with the influence I have on people? Do I realize that every moment I spend with people is a moment where I can hopefully positively influence them? Do I make an effort to mentor or guide others in the right direction? Even if you don't know it, you are guiding, you are mentoring. Parents, you're doing that constantly. At home, you're guiding your kids. You go to work, you're guiding, you're influencing people. You may not be the boss, but you're having an influence. You're mentoring. You're leaving some mark on their lives every single day. The second last thing I want to mention is Jesus used his time for the benefit of others. Jesus used his time so well. In Matthew 9, Verse 18, listen to this. Jesus is surrounded by, by people and, and he just does the following. And in verse 18, he says, while he, while it says, well, it says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died. But come and, and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples and now he's following. The daughter has just died. So you can imagine there's anxiety. There's, Jesus, come quickly, please. He's on his way. And in verse 20, it says, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. So he's going to the ruler's house. There's this woman that stops him, and he stops for her. Jesus is incredible. He would stop for the one. He would stop for the one and, and uses his life and his time for the benefit of others. It was not just, I, I want to do this, and I want to go there. It's just, hey, what is important to you? Constantly did that. I've got to ask myself, am I using my time wisely to add value to the lives of others? How is my time being used? Are we all busy? We've all got things to do, places to go, people to see, things to do, this and that and whatever else. But at the end of the day, it's part of my legacy is left by how much time I make for people. How much time I give to people. The last thing 
I want to say about how Jesus remarkably have left a legacy for us is he left a mark on people's lives by how he lived. And 1 John, listen to this. This is now the, the testimony of someone that had been with Jesus. The disciple who has spoken about that Jesus loved so much and dearly. Listen to what this man writes about Jesus. This is proof of the legacy that has been left on a, a person's life. When he can write the following about that person that he spent so much time with. It says, John is writing. And he's writing about Jesus. And he says, that which was from the beginning, that's Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify it to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen. He talks about that again. We have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We have been touched by him and this is the testimony of our lives. John is actually just saying, I've seen him. I've heard from him. I've been touched by him. I've been impacted by him. And you know what? He's made a distinct mark on my life. I am what I am today because of him. This is what Jesus did. He spent time with people in such a way that it was a remarkable influence on their lives. That they could write things like this. And he could not keep quiet about this mark that was left on him. John could not. I want to say this. Whatever we are allowing to leave the biggest mark on our lives will be that which we speak about most. That thing that you are allowing, and each one of you have the, the responsibility and the right to allow whatever it is that you want to affect your life, that thing will be the very thing that you speak about most. John, we can clearly see what impacted his life most. And he could not keep quiet. He says, him we proclaim to you. We've got to share with you what impacted our lives so deeply. So what mark are you leaving? First of all, we've got to ask, how, what mark are you allowing to impact your life? Is it the life of Jesus? And then secondly, what mark are you leaving on the lives of others? Because they will speak about it. The mark that you are having, the influence that you are having on other people's lives, and I am having, they will speak about it. And so again, we get in a second chance saying, God, please help me to change the way that I'm affecting other people's lives. Let it be like what Jesus had done. I close with Hebrews 11, verse 4. Amazing verse. And it says something that is profound. Talking, talking about the men of faith, and women of faith, from the Old Testament particularly. And it talks about this man, 
and verse 4, that we don't often talk about. We know about Adam and Eve, know about their two sons, but here their one son is remarkably commended. In verse 4 it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And we don't have time to go into that story. Through which he was commended as a righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And listen to this. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This is a story of a dead man still speaking. And so every dead person still speaks. It's true. Every dead person still has a voice through their legacy. Every person on earth has a legacy and will have a legacy, whether we're alive or dead. Here we see the principle taught that even if you're dead, your voice will still be heard. We have no recorded words that, that Abel spoke, but his life still speaks today, the word says. His faith. Our legacy is something that will continue to speak to us, to speak about us. It will outlast us. I would be dead, but my legacy would still remain alive. And this is where that dash comes in. You know what happens when people are spoken of and their time on earth is indicated? Winston Churchill, born 1895, for instance, dash 1958, or whatever it is. That dash is your life, is my life. The date of birth, I couldn't determine. The date of death, I cannot determine. But the quality of life in between, you and I determine. That's our legacy. The legacy of Jesus, his dash. Far outweighs any legacy could ever exist here on earth. But our dash is in our hands. Your dash. What are you doing with your dash? Your dash is your life, friend, today. That dash is an incredible one. Someone who made a huge impact. And there's so many stories. I've got to just tell you this one. And his picture will come up. It's a man called David Bernard however you pronounce that. He lived, there's his dash. He was born in 1718 in the States in Connecticut and he died in 1747. He had nine siblings and they were all orphaned when David was 14. He lived with an older sister and then he entered Yale University where he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Bernard was, was so excited about the law that he made a critical comment about one of his tutors at class and who didn't share his enthusiasm with for Christ as tutor. As a result, he was thrown out of, out of Yale and, and all his attempts to be reinstated were futile. So he was kicked out of varsity. He was distraught. But he went out into the woods and began sharing Christ with Native Americans in the Northeast. He battled intense loneliness and terrible depression. He contracted tuberculosis. He became so ill, he had to give up his work after only about three years. The great colonial preacher Jonathan Edwards took him in and, and the Edwards family ministered to Bernard as he died. Bernard suffered terribly and died an excruciating death at age 29. At first glance, 
His life looked like a failure. Orphaned, thrown out of college, lonely and short ministry to the Indians, sickly, tuberculosis, died at 29, and only eight of those he was a Christian. Only eight. During all his missionary labors among the Native Americans, he had seen only a small handful of them converted. But that isn't the whole story. David Bernard kept a journal which was published after his death. And Jonathan Edwards wrote the biography of him which was also published after his death. These books took the world by storm. Bernard's biography swept over the colonies like gasoline and helped spread the fires of the Great Awakening as people were mesmerized and moved by the devotion of the sickly young man who did what he could for the Lord before his early death. Bernard's life became the best-selling religious book of the century and it has never been out of print since the day it was published. Bernard's life changed people's lives. It became the first American biography to sweep over Europe. The 1900s are also called the golden age of missions when American Europe exploded in courageous men and women going to the regions beyond, like Hudson Taylor, David Livingston. You can hardly read a biography of any of these great missionaries of this era without coming across the way Bernard's life had impacted them. William Carey, a shoemaker in England, became so moved by its message that it had a lot to do with him going to India to open that land to the gospel, where today there are about between 40 and 100 million believers. Carey said that Bernard's life was almost a second Bible to him. And in the 20th century, Bernard's life had a tremendous impact on Jim Elliot, who was one of the five missionaries martyred by the Oka Indians in 1956. He had been reading Bernard in the days just before he was slain. And that reading, he said, had almost become an hourly practice for him. Yale University, which expelled Bernard for his spiritual zeal, later named the building. Later named the building, a missionary center in his honor, which is there today. The only building on the campus named after a student that was expelled. He used his dash. 29 years. Eight years of them saved. Through terrible pain and sickness, he used it for the glory of God. And the legacy of Jesus made those legacies possible. It's not because this guy was a great man. The last slide is, is an very important one. It's your dash. It's my dash. The legacy of Jesus helps us to change the legacy that we had into a godly one. But it's only possible by choice. You may have given your life to Christ. But every single day, the outworking of that determines your legacy and my legacy. Live the way you want to be remembered. Live a life that will outlive you. Let's pray. Jesus, the phenomenal legacy that you have left for us through the way that you've lived. And you continue to impact our lives through Holy Spirit who helps us to live like you want us to live. Lord, each one of us have a date, has a date that says this is the year that I was born. None of us at this stage know anything about the next date. 
the date of our departure, where we will fully come alive. Not where we will die, but where we will fully come alive when we enter into heaven with you. This morning, I pray that you will help us to understand the importance of that dash in between those two dates. Lord God, that we will take serious, serious responsibility for the way in which we live in between. And this morning, Father, where we have perhaps been irresponsible and ignorant of how we live, I pray that before you we will say, God, I look at the legacy of Jesus. I want to live with that which matters most to you in my life. Not what matters most to me, but what matters most to you. That's how I want to live my life because that's the true legacy that I want to leave behind. What matters most to Jesus. Not what matters most to my parents or to my culture or to my nation or to my family. I want to live with that which matters most to you, oh God. And I want to act it out. I want to live it in such a way that people will remember there was a man there is a woman, or well, there is a man, there is a woman whose lives are completely dedicated to their king. That's the legacy that we want to have today already. I pray, Father, that you'll help us with that. Trust you for it. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.